most of you know, but for those who don't, uh, about two weeks ago, our church community sent out a team to the Dominican Republic. So there were seven of us that went down um, to a village named Guazamita. And this morning, we'd like to take the chance to talk a little bit about that experience, what we learned, what we learned about the community, and also um, kind of the future of that partnership. All right. Um, good morning. That was something. Um, so yeah, as most of you guys know, we started this partnership with um, a village named Guazamita in the Dominican Republic in 2020. And the first real stage of that was a child sponsorship stage. So um, between different individuals and families in this church, we sponsor 16 different children in that village. Um, our family sponsors a little boy named Warlene, um, who's six years old, and we got to visit him on this trip, um, which was, it was quite the experience. Um, so we've had a picture of him on our fridge. We've prayed for him, we've, um, we've sponsored him, and as we approached his school, you know, there he was, flipping us off through the fence. <laughs> um, that didn't mean anything. He didn't know who we were. Um, he was just being a mischievous six-year-old, doing something naughty for the sake of doing it. Um, Worlin very much had a sweet side. Um, which we saw he had lots of energy. Um, sometimes that came out in these acrobatics he would do, and sometimes it came out in multiple fights that he got into. Um, so his story and his life are complicated, and so is the poverty that he faces. Um, when that kind of, when, when the complexity of the poverty like that in Guazimita is not accounted for, um, well-intentioned attempts to help can actually be harmful. And um, Steve Corbett, who actually worked for Food for the Hungry for 11 and 12 years, co-wrote the book When Helping Hurts to lay out how that can happen. Um, it's a very good and um, it's a very good book that informs Food for the Hungry's philosophy of aid. And one of the things that I really appreciate about Food for the Hungry as an organization is the way that it takes that kind of complexity seriously and seeks to avoid the kind of harm that can occur. Um, and I think that's a reason to be excited about this partnership. And I'm going to briefly sketch out um, four different sort of characteristics of their approach that I'm excited about and that we experienced as we were on this trip. Um, the first of those is just that we think of this as a mutual relationship. Um, Food for the Hungry does not sponsor, does not foster one-way aid relationships, but rather partnerships where there's mutual edification that happens. So we were in Guazamita to learn from them what their needs are and aren't. Um, we didn't have the answers for them, but we were there to learn what their dreams are and what approaches might be to help them um, improve the life of their community. Um, the second aspect that I appreciate about them is the focus on empowerment. So Food for the Hungry recognizes that people don't so much need handouts as to be empowered to have agency in their own lives and in their own um, circumstances. So the staff that we were working with were people, were, were, the majority of them were people who were locals. They were from 30, 45 minutes away maybe, um, who had been empowered to help others in their communities. So, the, the people on the ground leading the charge, so to speak, were local people who had experienced that kind of empowerment. Um, we saw them investing into people in this community, in Guazamita, 
um, in a way that was re really encouraging. And we were blessed as some of those people, local women in the village, offered to pray for us as we, um, as we left. Um, a fourth thing is the emphasis on restoration that uh, Food for the Hungry carries forward. They recognize that poverty is a consequence of four broken relationships, our relationship with God, um, with self, with others, with creation. And so their approach is very holistic. Some of the stuff that we experienced, we saw, we saw or heard talked about as we were there, um, were things like relationship counseling, um, training on how to advocate for themselves to their government, where the government is failing them, um, education, hygiene. Um, all those things are some of just many other examples that uh, Food for the Hungry takes in their holistic approach to, to restoration. And then finally is their emphasis on transformation. So the, um, the, there, there's an aim, there's a goal, there's an end to this partnership. Um, our hope, our aim is for this community to graduate. We typically, Food for the Hungry typically works in 10-year terms, at the end of which the community graduates um, and is able to essentially carry on their own development in a more self-sufficient way, and hopefully even to help other communities. And we saw that, we experienced that with neighboring towns that actually came and, and um, helped out a little bit in Guazamita. So to kind of bring that all back to Warlene, our hope is that in 10 years, so when he's 16 years old, um, we will have walked alongside and empowered his community, um, that he will have, there will be opportunities for him to kind of pour his energy into in a positive way, um, that he will have had people who invest in him um, so that he can be a leader, and that all these things will be to the flourishing of his community, to his relationship with God, with himself, with others and the creation around him. So, so right. <clears throat> Thank you very much, Dom. Okay, uh, to give all of you some kind of framework or perspective on the little village of Guazamita, I'm gonna give you a little bit of the demographics as well as the history uh, of the, the island, <clears throat> okay? Here are some of the, I call them salient demographics. Haiti and the Dominican Republic share a common history because they share a common island. Anything that happened on that island, both Haiti and the Dominican Republic uh, were, was in, were impacted. A third of the island is, uh, in fact, I think we have a visual here that kind of shows that. Uh, as you can see, a third of the island on the left side is made up of Haiti, and two-thirds of the island is made up of the Dominican Republic, okay? And the Haitians are the largest ethnic minority in the Dominican Republic. 10% of the uh, Dominican Republic's 10 million inhabitants are Haitian. And Guazamita is a small village of maybe about 500, and you can see we've noted it there, 500 inhabitants. Uh, that's just a rough estimate. Uh, it's a rural community located in the countryside of the Dominican Republic, north of the capital, uh, but in the rural environment. 93% of Guazamita inhabitants are Haitian descent, and they speak Spanish. Okay, that's essentially their native language. But many also speak uh, Creole, which is a Haitian French. Okay? Now, here's just a couple of the milestones in their history. And I think perhaps you're all aware that Christopher Columbus landed on this island. This is where he discovered Amer the, the New World in 1492. Well, 
1844, there was a 22-year period where Haiti governed the whole island, meaning they governed the country of the Dominican Republic. And this became very influential in how people feel about the Haitians today in, uh, in the Dominican Republic. It had a major impact. Okay. Now, in the early 1900s, there was this, we call it an invasion, uh, a peaceful invasion by the Haitians uh, by virtue of sugarcane owners. They bought up land down there and decided to produce sugarcane and bring in Haitians as their laborers to do the work. <clears throat> and they established what is called bete communities, and that's B-E-T-A-Y, okay? And unless you're doing the plural, then it's E-S. But betes are still in evident in the community of Guazumita. And what I'm showing here is an example of that, I guess you call it, architecture, that <laughs> structures. And you can see they're, they look to be very stout uh, structures, essentially built with concrete and, and some of them are these, these super light concrete blocks, okay? And the, each one has kind of got a flat roof and a little porch that extends over the main structure. And this was characteristic on all of their structures built by the sugarcane owners for their employees. This is how they housed their employees back then. And this, if you will, takeover uh, of the Haitians of the sugarcane industry uh, continued into the 1980s. So this is a pretty, pretty significant situation. All right. And they had little ramadas, as you can see, this one canopy on the right. This was a uh, structure to allow people to come from their little uh, house and congregate in the center of the community and be in the shade and out of the, the, the elements, so to speak. Okay? All right. Now, the, probably the most significant development in the last 10, 12, 15 years is this uh, reinterpretation of the Constitution. There was a Constitution written in 2010, but then reinterpreted by the judicial courts in the Dominican Republic in 2013. And what it essentially did is it allowed, it allowed the government of the Dominican Republic to denationalize tens of thousands of the Haitians that lived in Dominican Republic. And this is a very significant, as you might guess, because what happens now without their nationality or without a citizenship, that's very difficult for them to advocate for themselves on, on, in it, for any government help. And they have trouble getting authorized for education purposes, graduates and things like that. So uh, this is a significant problem. I'm trying to find out today exactly what is taking place in terms of the effect it has on uh, Guazumita today. Essentially, uh, I failed to mention something here, that today only 20% of the Haitians uh, work in the cane fields. They're now employed in construction, agriculture, and uh, the tourism industry. And they basically uh, get paid almost nothing, but they, they come from Haiti because of the earthquake last year. I'm sure you saw on the news, or think you may have, they had the most devastating earthquake in probably this whole continent, this, uh, the, at least in the Americas, 
And many of those people are still trying to get out of Haiti and get into the Dominican Republic. So it's a very dire situation. Yes, my name in the Dominican Republic was Car Carolina, Carina. Uh, but now I'm back here and I'm Karen DiPietro. So um, the overriding purpose of our mission trip was to build relationships with the people of Guazumita. And every day we were immersed in the culture of this community. We awoke to roosters crowing, mopeds of the workers going elsewhere to find work the hushed voices of the faithful women preparing breakfast, and the aroma of good Dominican coffee. These kinds of, these kind, caring women filled us with delicious foods, rice and beans with chicken and beef, soups and stews with vegetables that I have never heard of. And oh, the fruits, <laughs> fresh pineapple, mango, papaya, bananas, plantains, melons, avocados. And so our five days begin in Guazamita. Sunday evening, when we arrived, we had a welcome ceremony uh, that introduced us to the community um, that gathered there to meet us. The next few days, we visited um, a child care center, a preschool, and ele the elementary grades and the upper grades. The children's expressions in their eyes were, who are these people? One day we had a health lesson of hand washing, and the next day a lesson on keeping your environment clean. The kids in gloved hands ran around picking up trash in the schoolyard. After these kinds of interactions with the children, we were all connected. Each of us deeply, were deeply touched when meeting our sponsored child in their homes. The face-to-face -face contact is a photo in our hearts. I will speak briefly of El Luis Alberto, the child who seen, you've seen the pictures um, that Al and I sponsor. Baseball being the Dominican Republic's national sport, our gift to Luis Alberto was a baseball and baseball cards of the top Dominican players on the U.S. teams. He was excited and we it was oh, just, a, just one of those special moments that all of us had at different times with our own um, children we sponsored and just other interactions with the ch children and the people that lived there. Um, after school, vacation Bible school drew many kids. Ezra and Asher took charge of games, and the kids just loved it. Later in the week, or later on, um, we would find kids waiting for after we ate, and then they came to the table playing Uno and uh, other card games, which I forget the name of the one that you taught me. 
Okay, it was fun too. Um, we visited the sick and elderly. You saw a picture of a woman. Um, she was in her 90s. Um, she was depressed because of losing a husband and children and grandchildren over the years. And we came and she just had her head bowed until Pedro, who plays the guitar, started playing a Christian song. And she kind of raised her head up and there was a whole new countenance on her face. And we sang a few songs, we were sort of ready to go, and she said, I want to sing. And she sang beautifully and with a great, um, great smile on her face. And then we were ready to go, and she said, I want to sing another. That was one of those beautiful touches that um, we shared. Um, we sat in um, on, a, on a marriage counseling session, a group marriage counseling session, which was pretty interesting. Um, we had, um, Yolanda was the interpreter, and she handled that so beautifully, lightheartedly, fun, and we added a few things to that. Um, it was quite interesting. If, and it's surprisingly, many of the men stood up and talked about things in their lives and their relationships. Um, we listened to young men and young women share their hopes and dreams for the community. Uh, Veronica was one who worked with the young people. And um, she inspired some of the older kids in an after-school program um, to read good literature and one of their favorite books, we found out, was Heidi. And, uh, and others that uh, we knew also as, as we grew up reading. There's much more to say about the community and their faith in God and prayers going forward as we partner with them. Um, we had some... Our going away ceremony was very interesting. We had a welcoming and a uh, sending us off. And uh, that was loud with music, loud with preachers. Um, and just, you know, eventually I wanted to be immersed in the community, and I started clapping like the little children in front of me and raising my hand like they do, and uh, then getting into a little dance with this that was going in a circle with this little girl that uh, sat in front of me, who just, it was just this beautiful connection that I'll always remember, and I just pray that she'll remember too, the love that, and the care that we shared with each other. We come back to our culture and community, praising God. Let me just turn this so I can see. Praising God for opening our eyes to see and experience his presence in Guazamita. Paul writes in Ephesians 3:17, I pray that you, 
being rooted and established in love, may have, lo may have power together with all the saints everywhere to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ Jesus. Thank you. Um, my name's Asher, as probably everybody knows, and <laughs> there are 125 kids in the village of Guazamita, and 16, right? Yeah, 16 of them are sponsored by our church. Yeah. Um, and the one that my family sponsors is a kid named Randy Esme. I think he's right there. And yeah, when we went to his house, he we went to like we went there, and there was like he lives with his sisters because his mom's always working, and we sang a song with him, and then we played volleyball with him in his backyard. Oh yeah, and what it means to be a sponsor child is that you get sponsored, and. Yeah, Cesar's turn. <laughs> oh yeah, food for the food for the hungry um, has kids like do like programs and stuff like like we did this hygiene thing where we went to the school and taught them how to wash their hands and oh yeah, pick up trash next, Ezra. Oh yeah, that's them washing hands. Um, hi. <laughs> um, when we went there, the first day they had just we had just walked in and put down our luggage and we brought out a frisbee and me and him started throwing it around and they there was a group of kids and they came over and they just like one by one like stepped in and we started throwing with them and like in the first 15 minutes that we were there like we learned probably half the kids names because they like they catch their the frisbee and they say their name and then they throw it to the next person but yeah, and then the next day, or a few days later, um, they had a VBS kind of thing. And you can see on the left there, they, we came up with a bottle flipping competition. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to do the chair yet. Um, so like, as you can see, they're like, when they do it, or even if they're not doing it, like, they're really enthusiastic about it, and they, um, like, are just into it, and they start doing it, and it, and everybody's cheering and clapping, and it was just a good experience to see them, like, 
that happy about <laughs> a bottle flipping competition. <laughs> but yeah, and then we played kickball with them. And yeah, they. And I missed him right there. Here comes Pedro. Oh yeah. Okay. But they're like, like they, I mean, you can see them. They're running around and playing kickball, and then they can also sit in a classroom that's like really hot because of the weather. And it's surprising to like, I couldn't do that. Go out and play outside for a, a long time, and then go inside and sit in a classroom for a next the next hour. So yeah. It was just amazing to see the way that they could do that <laughs> without, like, fainting. <laughs> um, I mean, they're just really enthusiastic and good people once you get to know them <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah. Thanks, Ezra. One of the things that um, I wanted to talk about um, was that uh, we were there for a purpose, a specific purpose. We weren't there to go build something for the community and, and leave them with it. Um, what, we really, what we really were there for to do is listen and observe. And so uh, some of the things I want to talk about are um, what we observed. And I have a few slides behind and um, just wanted to kind of go through those fairly quickly and I will say uh, we're, we're hoping that the missions committee um, might want to set up a time when there's a lot more question and answer possibility and we can show more pictures and, and just talk a, a lot more about how we felt there because it was so it was such a, a strong experience for all of us. And I'm really happy to say that a number of you all uh, already said some of the things that I was going to. And I, I feel like we were, we came away from there really together, really knowing what, what JCC might have in the future to do with Guazamita. Uh, some, first I'll say a few of the problems that we ourselves observed. Um, after frequent rains, and there were a couple heavy rains, the roads get rutted and they're muddy. It's a sort of red dirt that gets on everything. And most houses, um, there's, there's just not much way to, to keep the dirt from tracking in. Um, not only is there no recycling, but as uh, people mentioned, there's trash kind of thrown everywhere onto the soil uh, so that everywhere you look in the town, um, there's garbage visible. Pull a Doug Walker here. Uh, there are many dogs um, all over town. Some are owned by people and well cared for. Some they call can turners. They're stray dogs that, that just uh, 
try to get by and, and people kick them away or you know scare them away but uh, they somehow stay alive and I feel like the town the, the community of Guazamita is similarly very resourceful at staying intact and staying alive um, uh, one of the one of the things I wanted to mention was in the Bates, uh their their Haitian majority population, as Mike was uh, very clearly telling, um, and and since many of the residents are undocumented and can't vote or advocate even with the government for things like infrastructure improvements, um, it's it's even harder for those in the community who only speak Creole. There are a few that that we had to have two translators, some translating. English for us, and, and another one translating to Creole for um, the, the old lady that Karen mentioned sang for us. Her voice was beautiful, by the way. Um, there's a lot of, there's a big need for adequate housing. On the left, on the right, you'll see, um, it's kind of a new approach, a different way of building, a little bit cheaper, maybe a little faster, and uh, they're experimenting with this because the, as the community grows, uh, most of the, those who need housing don't have the money to, um, to afford it. So the, the community works together and I think other organizations help with um, funding to make the houses uh, available. The, uh, a, a problem that we noticed often in town was that the, uh, the water filtration system that had been built there is currently not functioning. There's parts of the machinery that, are, are, uh, that need replacement. They don't have the parts. Um, so the water that flows occasionally to homes is not filtered water, it's contaminated. Everyone suffers for that. And we were constantly reminded by the Food for the Hungry FH staff, uh, not to drink anything, not to even brush our teeth with the water. Um, and, th and that's a big problem. Uh, Poverty is really deep within the community. One, uh, one of the girls that was, had been through this after-school leadership program uh, said that her family sometimes didn't have enough food and the neighbors, neighbors actually often invited her to their house to eat because they had food. Other times, she said, you just go over and eat with them uninvited, and it's, it's honestly no problem. Um, the community just works really well at mutual support. Um, but there are problems and dreams that they had to offer us at a lunch, uh, lunchtime session that we had with three girls who had graduated from this AMO program. You could, we, we might call it the Heidi Charlotte's Web program. That Veronica, the lady that, that took them in and, and mentored them, just did some amazing, amazing things with these kids. And these are now grown girls. Um, but they said, uh, safe travel to high school in a nearby community named, uh, or city almost, named Don Juan. Uh, it's, the current watch, walk is about an hour each way. 
And they do it rain or shine. There's no school bus. In fact, very few in the community have any kind of transportation. Those who can afford it have motorcycles, um, and that's about, and, and a few scooters. It's about all they have. Um, so uh, the hope, the dream is that there, it'll be easier for kids to get to high school. Um, they also mentioned very early in the discussion, there are, there's a need for playgrounds for smaller children to play at each day. Um, and there's also a need to develop fields that uh, are associated with uh, baseball and volleyball and stuff. The basketball court is used for almost everything. You saw the kickball game happening on the basketball court. If a kid trips and falls, they, they suffer a little, but they get up and keep playing. Um, but it's also the village gathering space. Kind of fun to, well, most of the things we did there, the, the vacation Bible school and other things happened on the basketball court. Uh, but the, these AMO girls also, AMO is the name of the program that, that Veronica set up. Uh, they also mentioned that um, there needs to be better river access. Um, the Okama River that flows right down through and, in, and is part of the port of uh, Santo Domingo starts way up in the mountains. And uh, uh, Guazumita is kind of near the, more the headwaters of that river. Um, we went we, on their recommendation, on their, on their encouragement, and, and stood in the river, skipped rocks, and, and had some fun there. Um, but the access to the river is, as you, as you can see, is uh, a trail that's kind of eroded. Every time it rains, that trail gets a little deeper, and it's just not set up for tourism at all. They hope for um, some, more, some fishing, um, access for tourists and, and others in Dominican Republic at the dam that, that is uh, a little bit below the area of the river that we swam in or, or waded in. They also uh, dream of having much more colorful houses all over town, uh, all over Guazamita, to look bright and appealing for visitors and also for residents. Uh, there's Another, uh, I guess, another dream was to have more technical training for some of the kids that are growing up. And um, the school doesn't have the facility to, ta to, to teach a lot of the technical stuff. So there's a real, a real big need, and they know it, and they, they hope for that. Also, during that same session that we talked with the AMO girls, uh, Preacher and his sort of protege, Molino and Jeremy were there as well and telling us about some of their dreams. One of the things, and, and it's from a Christian perspective, um, one of the things they want is for to have some sort of coaching and mentoring through sports, baseball, soccer, basketball, with young women, volleyball, basketball, and soccer as well. Um, and there is, a, there is some team forming and, and stuff, but they, they dream of uh, a group, uh, a coach that will take them on like you often see in, in really successful poor American, uh, poor USA schools that kind of changes the whole flavor of the, of the mindset. Um, they also need and want 
uh, training in church leadership. Um, there's Molino is, I think, preaching at the, is that right? At the Pentecostal church. And there's a little protege getting trained up in church leadership. <laughs> and he played that during some songs. That, that's a uh, sort of a traditional Dominican thing. It looks like a cheese grater with a wire brush. And uh, that kid played pretty well, actually. And Pedro did some of that. And Pedro drummed and everything. He's a, he's a fantastic asset for that community um, when, he, when he does get to go there. Okay, and then uh, also they, they recognize that there's a need for collaboration among the churches. There are five churches in town, and one of the efforts at uh, improving collaboration was that our goodbye ceremony was combined with um, the ecumenical service on the basketball court. <laughs> and uh, it was joyful, it was intense, the preaching was really loud, and and the music was even louder, and um, we, we got used to it somehow. We, we, we could hear well if we plugged our ears. Um, and, uh, but they, they, with the welcome and with the send-off, they just, the community just came for us, came, came together for us, and treated us with such good welcome. And uh, um, my personal dream, I'll just add, is they have a little library starting. Nobody knew about libraries, and I, I think it might have been Food for the Hungry, but some group came in and helped set up the, uh, a, a two-shelf bookshelf. It's got a few children's books, and um, I think uh, I would love to see that beefed up um, with some Spanish books for all ages. Um, and then they're, they're teaching the idea of you borrow the book, you read it, and then you bring it back for somebody else. So that's all I had, Dave. Thanks, Reed. Actually, the library he's referring to was in an um, early childhood space where they work with young children, particularly with their mothers, to do training um, in terms of being a young parent, nursing, educating, reading to your kids. And if you remember, two Christmases ago, many of you contributed um, to renovating that space. Unfortunately, I don't have the picture here, but I have, have it on my phone, um, renovating that early childhood space and purchasing those library materials that the, the mothers can check out. So that actually was a direct result of your giving um, to this community. Very briefly, I just wanna highlight, um, as many of the, the team members shared here, this isn't uh, a one-time trip where we went and saw some things and you know checked that box. The goal here really is to continue in an ongoing partnership with our community and their community. Um, so I just wanted to highlight some ways that we hope to continue to be involved. Um, our hope is that roughly once a year we could continue to send uh, groups of JCC members down to visit this community. Um, and to revisit these relationships, but also to revisit some of the projects and goals um, that their community leaders are interested in. So um, everything from that water filtration project we mentioned, uh, community development, um, some of their representation with the government, Food for the Hungry is working on school programs, uh, bringing the, the local churches there together. Um, that was one of the highlights for me is that really this was one of the first times in the last several years that all of the local churches, almost all of the local churches, partnered together in something. Food for the Hungry really works to build those bridges. Um, so we hope to continue trips. We also hope to continue our sponsorship 
So the way that Food for the Hungry can come in and do intervention with early, early childhood and, and mothers and intervention in the schools um, and create savings programs and financial stewardship programs and all the things that they do is based on a child sponsorship model. So when we sponsor those children in Guasamita, uh, that sends resources into that community which enables Food for the Hungry to do the programming and support and send their staff um, on a routine basis in, into that community. So right now there are about 125 kids in their sponsorship program in the village. We sponsor 16 of them. About 85 kids are sponsored by other people in the United States who have an individual child sponsorship with one of those kids. And there are, remain about 25 kids, as I understand it, that are waiting to be sponsored in the Guasamita community. Um, Food for the Hungry doesn't deny them. They're, they're able to access the programming in the same way that all the kids who already have a sponsor can, uh, but they're basically eating that cost until we locate sponsors for them. Um, but those children who don't have a sponsor don't have letters coming in, they don't have personal visits, they don't have someone that they know is partnering with them going forward. So that's something you could consider doing. Um, if you're interested in, in beginning to sponsor a child, it's roughly $40 a month. Um, you're paired with a child. You can continue to, to pray for them, um, exchange letters for them, with them, uh, and even potentially visit them if you're able to go on one of our trips. Um, something to think about. We'd love early in the new year to set up a time either after a church service one Sunday or some evening um, for those of you who already are sponsor families to ask more questions, to see more photos, um, to talk with you about our trip, uh, or also anyone who wants to be more involved going forward to ask your questions then. So we want to make space to do that. Um, we'd love you to just continue to pray for this community on a regular basis um, based on what you've heard here, maybe based on um, what you know as a sponsor family. Um, just to really remember that they are our, our brothers and sisters in the faith. Um, and also to think about uh, a future trip if you might be willing to join us. So thank you for listening to our presentation, and we'd love to interact with any of you um, more fully one-on-one. -on -one.